0: Isaac Morehouse, welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Hey everybody, this is not a typical episode. I want to share with you a chapter from the book, Why Haven't You Read This Book? This book project was something I've talked about on here before. It was an absolute blast. Um, It was... Something that I had the idea for for a while and uh, decided to go out and find 10 different authors, each with amazing, interesting stories of questioning the status quo. When it comes to doing something big and unusual and out of the ordinary, typically people say, why would you do that? But this book is about flipping the burden of proof and asking why not instead and demanding really good reasons why not to do something Totally out of the norm, totally different, and very interesting. So that's what the book is all about. And we ran a successful Kickstarter campaign, and it was published uh, maybe, I don't even know, six months ago. But just now, we have it in audiobook version, courtesy of the Earl of Enid, Oklahoma. Mitchell Earl does a phenomenal job narrating this. The lovely accent from the plains of Oklahoma. It's very, it's very wonderful. It's, it's like honey to the ears. Actually, that's a terrible metaphor. I don't want honey on my ears, but it's really great. Um, I love audiobooks. I'm a, I'm a huge fan it just, you can do so much. You can listen while you're on a walk while you're driving multitask. So go to Amazon and look up. Why haven't you read this book? You can get it in Kindle, paperback, hardcover, and now audiobook If you have an audible subscription, you can also go to W-H-R-T-B, why haven't you read this book, why R-T-B, W-H-R-T-B.com. and you can download any chapter you want for free as an audio file. So go check it out. I am going to play for you now Mitchell Earle's audiobook uh, narration, why haven't you read this book, the introduction, and then the chapter written by my good friend and frequent co-host T.K. Coleman. Called Why Haven't You Auditioned for American Idol? I hope you enjoy the book. Check it out on Amazon or WHYRTB.com.
1: Introduction Why Haven't You Flipped the Burden of Proof? by Isaac Morehouse. All of the best decisions in my life have come as a surprise to those around me. Met with a bewildered why, I used to feel the need to give lengthy justifications. Doing things out of the ordinary better have a good list of reasons, right? At some point, I got tired of justifying myself and turned the question around. My response to why became why not. I felt a freedom I'd never experienced it was a revolution my wife and I moved away from our hometown to a new city with few friends or family connections then we did it again to a city with even fewer we had a few compelling reasons and mostly a burning question why not more than once i've quit an excellent job i loved in order to do something quite a bit different it seemed weird to my colleagues But the opportunity to take a dramatic turn on my life path had no compelling arguments against it. Then I started a business. Even though I hate a lot of the businessy stuff it requires, I had an idea that was interesting. So why not? I have not yet climbed a mountain or auditioned for American Idol, and I doubt you'd count our three kids as a bunch. But we are embarking on some extended world travels and generally attempting to implement the ideas... That animate the book you are now reading. This doesn't make me special or give you reason to take my word, but I hope it illustrates that this book is about a way of life I've found great personal fulfillment in. What this book is about. This book is about the simple practice of flipping the burden of proof from why to why not. What would happen to your life if you stopped assuming you know all the reasons why not to do things differently? Have you ever really, seriously demanded of yourself good reasons to not start a business, move to a new city, drop out of school, quit your job, write a book, travel the world, climb a mountain, fly first class, audition for American Idol, or have a bunch of kids? You probably assume you have good reasons for not doing these things. We all do. It's called status quo bias. The dominant path isn't scrutinized much, while deviations are. That's the line, anyway. We think the deviations are scrutinized, but maybe they're scrutinized even less. Over time, we assume other people have already asked questions and demanded answers of alternative choices. There must be a reason people largely make the same big decisions, right? Society's on something, right? The default is to believe you don't need to give a reason for not taking a big risk and being different. We just kind of know it's a bad idea, but do we really know? What this book is not about. The point of this book is not to argue in favor of any of the big ideas put forth. It's not to argue against the status quo either. It's to challenge you to be a better questioner when it comes to your own life decisions. You don't have to do any of these things discussed in these pages, but before you say no to them, demand good honest reasons why you shouldn't. Consider all the life-altering choices that don't get much scrutiny. Buying a home, going to college, getting a typical nine-to-five, and so on. Is that what you want? Are you sure? Would your life look different if you asked why of all the things that don't get questioned, and why not of all those that do? If not, good for you. Now when you settle into your path, you'll at least know you consciously chose it, and you'll know why. This is a big help when times get tough. On the other hand, if in flipping the burden of proof you find better reasons to do something previously thought out of reach, a radical, good for you too. You've done the hard work of knowing thyself. The harder work of acting on it comes next. It is my belief that the best decisions are fun, challenging and not tainted with guilt, obligation, shame, or fear. Don't read this book and feel like you have to do something different to be cool. If it's not you, and you have plenty of sound why-nots, don't do it. Just have reasons. Your reasons, not anyone else's. Status quo bias exists for a reason. It's a good thing we don't have to rediscover all pitfalls and dangers firsthand. Why not touch the hot stove is probably a bad example of flipping the burden of proof. The reason this contrarian approach is so valuable is precisely because it's only valuable sometimes for some people in some situations. We can't tell you all the best times to apply it, but a little common sense should go a long way. Test it out in your head before you take action. I bet you can answer why not touch the hot stove without touching it first. You don't need to eschew all traditions and norms and common advice. They're helpful more often than not. But at least find out why they're helpful and whether they apply to you in every situation. The big breakthroughs happen when you find exceptions to rules, but you'll never find them if you only ask the same questions everyone else is asking. So why should you trust the authors? Of course, I'm going to respond, why not? None of the authors are experts. Instead, This book is a collection of ideas and stories from people who have lived these out-of-the-norm decisions, sometimes with wonderful results, sometimes with great difficulty. The authors were chosen primarily because I love their stories and outlook, and also because they're all friends of mine, whom I find fascinating and inspirational. This book is very down-to-earth. Each chapter is done in the style and tone of its author, and I made no great effort to unite them with a single voice. Some read as tips and how-tos. Some read as personal stories. But the authors have each put their lives where their words are and asked why not of some big, crazy decisions. You can read the chapters in any order you like. Skip around to the topics most intriguing. I gave the authors free rein when I invited them to contribute to this book. You'll find great variation in length, depth, and breadth of the chapters. I didn't want to force people into arbitrary length, even if it made the table of contents more uniform. Sorry if that bugs you. This collection is just a sampling of things most people assume are bad ideas, but that might turn out to include the best thing for you if you flip the burden of proof and examine it closely. There are infinite possible applications of this practice. You'll have to think for yourself to discover your own why-nots. Chapter 7. Why Haven't You Auditioned for American Idol? By T.K. Coleman. Music has always been my first love. I grew up in a religious home where gospel music was played all throughout the day. From Walter Hawkins and James Moore to Commissioned, Take Six, and the Winans Brothers, there was hardly ever a moment when my brothers and I weren't trying to emulate the vocal stylings of our favorite singers. At the church where we grew up, it was common for all the young boys to form singing quartets. Nothing was cooler than being a guy who knew how to sing. When I started high school, I discovered Brian McKnight and Boys to Men. I listened to their CDs over and over again, trying to master every note as if my life depended on it. Sometimes I would spend hours trying to hit the high notes at the end of On Bended Knee from Boys to Men's second album. I even remember staying up late every night to watch Jay Leno and Arsenio Hall just in case Brian McKnight or Boys to Men made an appearance. I loved their music so much that I couldn't imagine a life doing anything but writing songs that move people in the same way their music moved me. When I went to college, my dorm mates nicknamed me Singing Boy because I would always hang out by the hallway staircase, where the acoustics were amazing, practicing my notes. Music was my life. Paradoxically, I never majored in music. I was too scared. Auditions for the music department required you to prepare a classical song in a foreign language. I had neither the confidence nor the work ethic to pull that off. In all honesty, I wasn't that great of a singer outside the realm of pop and R&B. Had the music department allowed me to audition with a boys' to Men piece, I would have been first in line. Instead of music, I chose to major in theater, my second love, and philosophy... A field I ended up discovering as a result of all the confusion I constantly felt about following my dreams and living a meaningful life. I never stopped singing, though. From the shower and the dorm hallway to talent shows and long walks across campus, I sang passionately every single day. I even remember one occasion when I visited the student loan office and the lady who was working commented on how happy I seemed. This struck me as a peculiar observation, because I was particularly sad that day. But then I realized, I'm singing. She thinks I'm happy because I'm singing. That moment actually cheered me up. It made me smile because it illustrated something I've always believed about the power of music. There is something inherently courageous and joyful about the act of singing a song. My love for singing pulled me through a lot of dark days and boring classes, American Idol auditions are in Detroit next week. You have to go, man. You have to go. Nobody loves to sing like you do. Those were words spoken to me via telephone by my friend Paige Kennedy. Paige was a theater major from Western Michigan University and was living in Los Angeles at the time. He is one of the few people I know who studied theater and is now making a living as a professional actor. He's had roles on Weeds, Backstrom, Blue Mountain State, SWAT, and many other TV shows and movies. Page is an accomplished guy, an inspiration for a lot of aspiring artists who come from the Midwest. So when he called me from LA to tell me that he thought I should audition for American Idol, I was truly flattered. TK, this show is perfect for you. Everyone knows how much you love to sing. If the judges on the show were able to see your passion and hear your voice, I believe you'd become a star. I told him I was honored by his belief in my talents, but that I wasn't interested in doing that audition. I had already made my peace with the fact that I would probably not have a career in music, and I was really beginning to feel at home in the philosophy department. Auditioning for American Idol seemed like a pipe dream, an untimely distraction, and a not-so-enviable opportunity to be embarrassed by Simon Cal. I was partly scared of the idea, and partly trying to focus my mind along more pragmatic lines. To audition for American Idol might not only lead to failure but it might also cause me to open my heart so wide that I'd never be able to recover from the heartbreak of getting my hopes up and losing. I gave Paige a firm no and ended the conversation. One week went by. Paige Kennedy called me again. TK, there's another American Idol audition coming up in California. You have to go, man. I know you're scared, but you have to go after your passion, man. Imagine the possibilities. I laughed at his persistence. But I maintained my original position. That's when Paige upped the ante. I'll pay for you to fly out here. That's how passionate I am about you doing this. Paige was one of those guys who understood the possibility of going after a crazy dream and somehow making it happen. If there was anyone who not only talked the talk, but who actually walked the walk, it was Paige. Auditioning for American Idol couldn't be any more far-fetched than Page's decision to move to Hollywood and make his dreams come true, I reasoned. I told Page to give me some time, and promised him I would think about it. Since I had good relationships and a tremendous amount of respect for my professors, I asked many of them for their opinions. None of them were impressed by the idea. The fact that I would need to miss a few classes did not help. I wouldn't categorize any of my professors as dream killers. I think they were all well-meaning people, who just wanted to see me stay focused. But I have to admit that I was more than a bit discouraged by the general lack of enthusiasm over Page's suggestion. There was one professor in the philosophy department, however, who provided a different take on things. Her name was Sylvia Culp. I had never taken any classes with her before, so we didn't have much of a relationship. I only asked her for her opinion because she happened to be sitting in her office one day when I was walking by. This was a rare thing in my experience. Prior to that moment... I was mostly accustomed to seeing her door closed. I interpreted her open door as a sign of some sort, an invitation from the universe to seek out a different opinion. I also think I was looking for someone who would tell me what I wanted to hear. I asked her for some time, and she was very gracious, as she listened to me talk about the crazy idea Paige had about my auditioning for American Idol. After listening very intently, she said, This world has enough philosophers who don't know anything about following their dreams and taking creative risks. If you plan on teaching someday you better have some wisdom from substantial real-world experiences to impart. The best philosophers are the people who live passionate lives. The opportunity to do philosophy isn't going to go away. You can do that at any age. But something like this only comes around every once in a while. Once you start to get older It's only going to get easier to talk yourself out of things like this. Go get your answers, young man. Go get your questions answered, or you're going to torture yourself with regret. Those words were exactly what I needed to hear. Later that night, I called Paige and told him I would accept his offer. He was excited. After that talk with Sylvia Culp, I was starting to feel the magic again. I could hear the music calling me home. I didn't have much time to prepare for my audition, so I asked one of my philosophy buddies if he had any suggestions. He said, if you want to prepare for American Idol, you have to master your own nerves. It doesn't matter how much you practice in the shower or in the hallways, you need to practice singing in scary situations. Like what? I asked. You need to walk around campus and stop random people on their way to class. I mean total strangers. Tell them you're planning an auditioning for American Idol and that you'd like to get their feedback on your singing. That's scary as hell. If you can do something crazy and embarrassing like that, you'll definitely be ready for the real deal. I accepted this challenge. For the next two days, I was a man on a mission. A friend and I went out to conduct this crazy experiment. Start with the girls, my friend said. They love that kind of stuff. Excuse me, I said to a girl walking by. I'm planning on auditioning for American Idol, and I'm just going around campus asking random people if I can sing for them as a way to practice for the show. Can I sing for you? I'm sure you'll do just fine, she said as she kept going. My friend laughed and said, Don't worry. She probably thought you were trying to flirt with her. Think about it. It totally sounds like a pickup line. Okay, let's try some guys first. We saw three guys walking our way, and my friend said to try them. I approached the guys and repeated the same line I had said to the girl. The guys looked at each other as if they were thinking, Is this dude serious? Then one of them said, Go ahead, man. I sang the first verse of Please Don't Go Away by Boys to Men. When I finished, they all laughed. But this wasn't a mocking kind of laugh. It was the kind of laugh one does when he's proud, pleasantly surprised, or impressed. All three guys stepped forward to shake my hand. I won't lie, said one of the guys. When you first asked us if you could sing, I thought you were going to be a whack. But you've got some skill, bro. Do your thing, man. From that moment on, I felt increasingly empowered. I sang for anyone who would listen. I sang for girls and guys alike without fear. On the day before I flew to California, I walked into a campus coffee shop, stood on a chair, and asked everyone for their attention. I said, I know this sounds crazy, but what I'm about to tell you is true. Tomorrow I get on a plane to fly to California for an American Idol audition. I'd like to sing for you all as a last-minute attempt to prepare for the madness. Before I could hit a single note, everyone applauded. To them, it didn't matter if I sounded good or not. They were impressed that someone would do something as crazy as walk into a coffee shop and do what I did. When I finished singing, everyone who wasn't already standing got up from their seats and showed me love like I never had received it before. At that moment, I realized something I would never forget. The mere fact that I was following a dream was big enough to make the people around me feel like they were a part of something magical and meaningful. I've always wanted to inspire people, but until that moment, I had always assumed that I would need to be successful or famous before I could light a fire inside someone else's heart. That experience taught me differently. I knew when I got on that plane that something more than my personal dream was at stake. I was on a mission to show everyone by example that it was okay to step outside his or her comfort zone in order to reach for something spectacular. When my feet stepped on California ground, I felt as though the energy of the stars was on me. I knew in my gut that something special was about to happen. The audition process was different from what I had watched on TV. I was told to get there the night before because people would be camping outside. I did as I was instructed, and several hundred people were already in line at 10 p.m. I remember staying up until 2 a.m. talking with aspiring singers from around the country. While exchanging stories, dreams, and lesson learned with the people around me, I could hear lots of people practicing their audition songs. It was a surreal experience. For the first time in my life, I slept on the streets. In the morning, someone announced that we each needed a ticket to audition, but no one was guaranteed a ticket. We stood in that line for a full day and finally received tickets. I was told that many people who showed up later than we did would not get one. For the rest of that night, I held on to my ticket as if it were made of pure gold. Sweet dreams... Sweeter manifestations was the mantra I chanted to myself as I drifted off to sleep that night. The next day was showtime. As we were ushered into the arena, I was mesmerized by the sheer number of people. The stands were filled as if it were Game 7 of the NBA Finals match. When I walked to the bathroom at one point, all I could hear was the sounds of people belting out their songs without shame. I walked past a girl who made eye contact and said, You ready? I said, Yeah, you ready? She said, yep, here you go. And she started to sing her song right there. Then she asked me to go. I sang my song right there. Then she looked at me and said, respect. I said, respect. And that was that. For the first time in my life, I felt like I was home among fellow dreamers. We were all a bunch of crazy misfits trying to achieve crazy things. I knew I wanted to feel that kind of energy for the rest of my life. Four parallel tables stood on the arena floor, with three people, the producers, at each. The people auditioning sat in the stands, divided into groups of twenty. When a group was summoned, the members would stand in front of a table. The producers at each table called forward the first four people from their group, and, moving left to right, asked each person to sing. After about thirty to sixty seconds, the person singing would be asked to stop, and the next person in line would begin his or her song. After the four finished, the producers told them to enter through the door on the right or exit through the door on their left. Being invited to enter on the right meant you advanced to the next round of the auditioning process. Being directed to the door on the left meant you were done. My heart stopped several times as I saw many great singers exit via the door on the left. When my time came, I was ready for my moment of destiny. I stepped up and sang Back at One by Brian McKnight. When my group was done... The producers directed me to the door on the left. I couldn't believe it. Everything I did to prepare for that moment felt so right. It truly seemed as if this was all meant to be. And in a flash, I was done. The dramatic phone conversations with Paige, the inspiring speech from Sylvia Culp, the epic moment when I sang for everyone in the coffee shop, sleeping outside for a ticket to audition. It all came to a head in less than a few undramatic minutes. Being the next American Idol was not in my cards. It sure didn't feel like it at the moment, but this is one of the best experiences I ever had. At this point in my story, you're probably expecting to hear some lesson on the value of failure and how setbacks are the key to success. While I'm definitely an advocate for such an idea, that's not the main lesson I took away from my American Idol experience. Before that audition... I believe that the primary purpose for following one's dreams was to actually achieve them. I've always been motivated by people who set out to do great things and who defied all the odds on their path to extraordinary achievement. As amazing and inspiring as such stories are, they often seduce us into missing what I take to be the real value in chasing a dream or pursuing something extraordinary. Following your heart is not only a creative journey of going after what you want, It is also an evolutionary journey of becoming who you really are. It's impossible to pursue a dream while remaining the same person you were when you first conceived the dream. When you move in the direction of your dreams, you initiate an alchemical process that results in radical personal transformation. The challenges you'll have to overcome, the fears you'll need to face, the mistakes you'll make, the ecstatic moments you'll experience, the people you'll meet. These will all be triggers activating aspects of your soul that you never knew existed. I believe that the true source of a meaningful, fulfilling, and adventurous life is self-knowledge and self-actualization. W.E.B. Du Bois wrote, The most important thing to remember is this, to be ready at any moment to give up what you are for what you might become. Each of us has a possible self that can neither be understood nor unearthed from within our comfort zones. The version of you that tries something daring and fails is superior in every way to the version of you that doesn't try at all. The main purpose of a goal is not the goal itself, but the movement towards self-knowledge and self-actualization which it inspires. There is no distinction between the taking of a creative risk and the decision to consciously participate in one's own evolution. Some people look at my audition experience as a failure. I agree. Positive thinking aside, I failed to accomplish what I set out to accomplish. What comforts me is not some warm and fuzzy belief about how failure isn't really failure, but the experiential understanding I have of the fact that failure is less intimidating and more nourishing when you experience it from the inside out. Failure is horrifying when you contemplate it as an idea. When you taste failure as an experience, however, you get to see what you're made of in an entirely unique way. I talk to people all the time who want to do things that are daring and different, but they're looking for some kind of assurance that they'll succeed. I'm here to tell you the opposite. If you follow your dreams, you'll probably suffer some losses and heartbreaks that you can't even imagine. But you'll also realize that you're funnier, wiser, more courageous, More interesting, more creative, more resilient, more confident, and more influential than you can even imagine. My present day career is completely unrelated to my childhood music dreams. Yet few things have prepared me for my career and my life more than my American Idol experience. Whenever I need to dig deep into my soul for answers, encouragement, or guidance, I thank my younger self for providing me with such a rich, and bottomless well of stories that I can draw substance from. If you want to be fascinating, do things that fascinate you. If you want to be inspiring, do things that inspire you. If you want to invoke ambition in others, demand great things of yourself. The world needs teachers, role models, philosophers, parents, and leaders who understand what it means to experience the personal transformation that comes from going after something special. Like the yellow brick road of Oz, if you follow your dreams, the path will take you on an adventure that is as frightening as it is thrilling. But when you arrive, you'll discover that the real magic was inside your soul all along, and the road you traveled was simply one of self-discovery. Take a risk. Face your fears. Follow the yellow brick road. Success or not, the knowledge of your true self awaits. And that's far more valuable than anything else you can search for. By the way, my American Idol experience eventually inspired me to move to California to pursue more of that creative energy I felt. In the first week after moving, a woman stopped me at the shopping mall and started asking me all sorts of questions about who I was and what I was doing. It turns out that she was a producer, and she wanted me to audition for a TV show called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? She said to me, You look like the kind of guy people would root for. You'd be great for that show. So I followed her tip and made the show. Yes, I actually met Jeff Foxworthy, and he's even cooler in person. Unfortunately, I got the first question wrong. Fortunately, one of the kids saved me, and I was able to survive long enough to take home $50,000. I still failed, though. At the end of the episode, I had to look at the camera and say, I'm T.K. Coleman, and I'm not smarter than a fifth grader. I may not be smarter than a fifth grader, but I know a thing or two about taking chances, failing, discovering interesting things about my potential, and living to tell the story. So as Sylvia Culp advised me, I advise you, one day, all you'll have is your stories. So go live a life that makes an interesting and intoxicating story to tell. Why not?